Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, guys, when we jump back into John, uh, John chapter two, we're kind of doing something. It may have been like a strange experiment, but we're kind of like weaving in and out of John. Now, the last time we were in John was in June, like the first Sunday in June. We did the third sermon of the John one series. This next go around, I think we're going back to John three, like in November. So it won't be so long uh, of a break, but, um, chipping away at John over the course of time. And um, we're in John 2 now. And and John 2, it's it's one of the most interesting chapters of Scripture to me. You have this wedding feast kind of scene that we looked at yesterday. And then next week, I'm excited, we're going to look at Jesus cleansing the temple. Two very, very different scenes, mm-hmm. right? And I think they present Jesus in this very, very different way. I'll give you a little preview, Jennifer. I think what John is trying to do here is talk about Jesus as for those who are in his, a part of his covenantal people who are his bride, right? Mm -hmm. There is this welcoming in, welcoming home to this celebration. For those who are not, there is this judgment that he brings. So you kind of see all of that captured in the one little chapter of John 2. Um, We'll talk more about that next week. But anyway, talk about the wedding feast. Um, you know, Jordan asked me how many times have you preached this? And yeah. I mean, I preach, I mean, a lot of times at weddings, it's not like my only go, I pretty much go to Ephesians five, every wedding. Uh, I go to John two, you know, 70% of weddings or something. Okay. <laughs> Cause it's just a fun, I mean, it's great. I love the, I mean, y'all heard about it yesterday. I don't go obviously into the detail that I went yesterday, but the festive nature of the text yeah. mm-hmm. is just very appropriate for weddings. Um, right. And what struck me is, you know, you preach this however many times, but there, there's still so much to mine in it. And, you know, for someone who has been reading the Bible for years, decades, to someone who's been preaching texts for decades, uh, the Bible is inexhaustible yeah. in its riches. And it's just such, such a beautiful thing. Well, and I think one of the things that you were going to talk about, Jennifer, is something that I literally just discovered this yes. week for the first time, yes. which was kind of the contrast between the six jars and the seven days. So I, I know you had an impression on that. What, That's right. what were your thoughts? I, um, well, I'd never heard that before as many times as I've heard this um, passage um, preached. So fascinating to see how Jesus is handling or, you know, addressing this new creation, what he's doing. And just, again, that the jars were for purification, the water, the cleansing, the constant washing um, that they had to do in that culture and what they had added on, you know, with Mm -hmm. the Pharisees adding on just all these um, ritual cleansings and how exhausting that is. I think about how many many times you've been standing (laughs) at the dishes, you know, you're, you're washing the dishes yet again. And I think it doesn't matter how clean I get this kitchen you know, in about 30 minutes, I will have to do this again. Yeah. It's just constant. And that's how it is with our sin. It's exhausting oh. if you have to cleanse yourself. And yet Jesus is coming in this very festive 
um, setting Mm. and he's bringing not just wine, but good wine. And I loved how you just emphasized to like to keep the party going and pointing us to this future feast. Um, and that he does, you know, he's just pointing to, he's going to do everything necessary to cleanse us so that we can experience this joy forever with him. You have to wonder like if John realized that as he was writing scripture, you know, inspired by the Holy spirit. But if, if all of a sudden he made that connection. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think he was, I mean, I think this was, so the way I like to understand, uh, the gospel of John in particular is John. I mean, obviously he has a forma about what he's doing. So for example, like the cleansing of the temple, that probably was at the end of Jesus's ministry. I mean, from the other synoptics, we know that to be so yet here, he kind of like bookends the ministry of Jesus with, it's almost like one event happened at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, the wedding feast, which, you know, Mm -hmm. But the other event in John 2 happened at the very end of Jesus's ministry, the cleansing of the temple. Um, and John bookends those to show, I think, the character of Christ. So he's obviously doing something in his gospel. But I, I almost think that you can read the gospel as like John's greatest hits. Like yeah. he'd been <laughs> preaching this. It'd be like you're... Uh, and obviously I totally believe the Holy Spirit's inspiring all of this, but it'd be like Jordan Coughlin at the end of your life you've written all these amazing songs mm-hmm. and you're going to play, okay, I got I got to figure out how to put them all, all in the same album mm-hmm. to tell this great story. So mm-hmm. no, I think he had preached this before yeah. and he was wanting people to see on this day of completion in the narrative that I'm telling Jesus performed this, this amazing thing and, and manifested his glory. Yeah. And it, I mean, another, um, way that he did that and you you drew this out and really uh really provoked me was you talking about you know john introducing jesus ministry at this wedding you know jesus ministry beginning at a wedding and then revelation written by the same john ending in a wedding mm-hmm. you know a mm-hmm. feast and i i just i love that i love john's intentionality but then you know you what it what it provoked in my mind was just thinking through the the beauty and celebration of Jesus coming on the scene and ultimately you know one day uh, for, forever reigning um, and celebrating you know at this at this marriage and at this feast. Yeah, and I think I think you kind of have to go there interpretively. You know, some some people say, oh, you're kind of grabbing at something there." Well. I do think the word of Christ there, my time has not yet come, is mm-hmm. is trying to trigger something. It's pointing us to the time of Christ. Now, the time of Christ could be his death, his hour. I mean, he talks about that as his hour too. But the fact that he's at a wedding, the fact that he's doing this celebration mm-hmm. thing, I think he's he's pointing us to a further hour, to the hour when he is one day reunited with his church, to the time that he's reunited at his own wedding. And to your point, like, it's just a beautiful, man, how great is this that the the ministry of Jesus is bookended at weddings? And I would just say too, like going to a wedding is not like baptism or the Lord's Supper in one sense, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of like that. It's 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 a signpost, I think, for people. And so, I mean, obviously in Catholic theology, it is a sacrament. Yeah. And I don't think it's a sacrament of the church in the same kind of way. Obviously, everyone is not married, but as the church celebrates weddings, 
it serves as a signpost to, to kind of point us to the ultimate wedding. It's the same kind of thing with funerals, right? Like right. these are things that the church and, and one of the sad things, and obviously we don't have a church building. Um, we don't obviously. have a church cemetery. <laughs> uh, so we don't have some of these like things that the church has had, but the fact that churches have had those is good. I mean, you get married at the church, the church kind of celebrates this together they're celebrating more than just Bobby and Janie falling in love. They're right. actually celebrating the fullness of the gospel mm-hmm. in that moment. Right. Walking through the church cemetery on the way to church is a good reminder. Okay, I'm going to die someday. Mm-hmm. And I'm here today to talk about transcendent things, ultimate things. And so the fact that we've kind of lost those two things, I mean, now all weddings, it's interesting for Christ's covenant, we're actually doing our church services in Ooh, wedding venues, venues now. So, Hey, you may have left yeah. the church, but the church is coming to you. So, uh, but, uh, I love that. but anyway, I, I think that those were good things for the church to be celebrating together, uh, weddings and funerals. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a pain that, that that's not as common in church life hmm. anymore. Yeah. So, now you had a question, Jennifer, about, uh, and oh, yes. you are, you know, one of the things y'all don't know about Jennifer McClish, guys, I'm going to announce it here. She <laughs> is a Bob Jones graduate. So you, you let the cat out of the bag. I know. I know. There is no so more many of a teetotalering place. No, no more. <laughs> than Bob Jones University. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes. When you started out saying how, um, you had heard, you know, when Blake had said how this was preached in the Dodge percentages, County. Yeah. the percentage. Oh my word! I've heard that so many times, <laughs> um, and honestly thought that that's mainly what this was about, um, which is sad. And Bob so- Jones, at Bob Jones, it's only one thirty second of the potency, <laughs> not one sixteenth. Right. He wants to make the water safe to drink. Yeah, that's what they used to say. So, um, but yeah, you actually gave me something to think about even more on this when you drew the analogy of the teetotaling theology. And I appreciated that you told us the history of that because I actually didn't, wasn't aware, but that you an- analogize it to liberal theology. And I would like, uh, like, like for you to explain a little more about that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously at Christ's covenant, I want to give a strong warning against drunkenness and drunken behavior and, and behaviors that are often accompanied with drunkenness. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not just drunkenness to worry about, but like, you're probably more susceptible to, you know, do a lot of things that you wish you hadn't done, Mm -hmm. you know, be given over to anger, be given over to lust, Mm -hmm. um, be given over to poor, to, you know, to foolishness when you're drunk. And so, uh, obviously want to give a very strong, you know, warning as a pastor and as the Bible does. But as I said, the Bible never kind of, you know, presents total abstinence from alcohol. In fact, alcohol is kind of a central part of the Bible, right? right. I mean, right. Um, even the church in its communion and, and you know, communion is actually a good place, right? Right. So we see alcohol communion yet even as Paul's instructing the Corinthian church, he's like, look guys, like right. you can't, you can't go get carried away. Get drunk here. You know, right, yeah, right. Like, this isn't, this isn't for you to go crazy with. And so, yeah, I think that's a good, but even in the old Testament, like you're saying, the uh, wine was 
about joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the... Well, and I think that one of the things that the church has lost, and I tried to kind of get at this yesterday, like we don't celebrate things as well as we should. Mm-hmm. We're not as good at partying as I think we should be. Right. Um, and so, um, so anyway, I, I think that that's a good corrective to be made. And so anytime we err from <clears throat> where scripture guides us, we move toward, you know, liberal or just unbiblical, whatever you want to call it, theology. We, we, mm-hmm. we, we move away from the guide that the Lord has given us. Now, what the reason I like this kind of analogy or this the way to talk about this is most people assume they kind of put teetotaling on the fundamentalist side, right? right? Think of it as conservative, right. ultra conservative. Yeah, but yeah. but actually, theologically, it's it's a more liberal position. It's a position mm-hmm. away from the revealed word of God, mm-hmm. and the re- the reason that this position came about. It came about for the best reasons, as I said mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, pastors were trying to minister to their congregation really well. But it's the same kind of thinking that has produced all, you know, liberal theology. Mm-hmm. I mean, all liberal theology, I would say, all bad theology came from the best intentions. Right. You know, and somebody was trying to minister to, uh, you know, the person in their church that, was going through a divorce, let's say, and 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 they tried to kind of lessen what Jesus has said about marriage and the marriage covenant and right. and, and divorce and what that is in order to minister to that person. Mm-hmm. And again, so the, their tendency toward compassion is so good and so right, but that's why we need the Word of God to anchor us. Right. It, it, this, we're seeing the same kind of thing right now uh, with sort of like a uh, an affirming toward homosexuality or same-sex marriage mm-hmm. theology that's happening in the church. I think that the pastors that are doing that and wanting to grab at that are doing so with the most kind and compassionate intentions. intentions. Their intentions are good, but you know the heart can deceive you and the right. heart can lead you away from truth and lead you away from order. And actually the cost of that is really, really high. Mm -hmm. And I would say we've seen that, uh, we've certainly seen that with the divorce culture that I just mentioned. We're going to see it with the same-sex sex sex of marriage culture. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen it with the legalism of the fundamentalist teetotaling culture, right? right? Right. And I would say all of these are the same error, error, even though they're kind of moving in different directions uh, culturally, but they're the era of going away from uh, what God has revealed in this. Right. If, that if, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it reminded me of what Blake said last week. I think it was in the talk back about politics and our temptation to have an experience, reach a conclusion, and then and then go to the Bible, yeah. right? And and try to find where our conclusion mm-hmm. is. And I think, I mean, you see this it's exactly you know, in, what this in is, the drunkenness. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, oh, bad experience of these guys coming, you know, not coming to church and they're drunk. Conclusion, this is bad, this needs to change. We need to establish that alcohol is bad. Right. Let's find in right. scripture where that makes sense. But functionally, when you do it that way, um, looking to your own solution, really, um, it's like you are saying God's not big enough. His gospel isn't big enough. Um, or you're missing out on how profound he is. Um, it's like, there's a, a panic almost that this is happening. Um, this is hard. We don't understand it. So we'll do this. We'll, we'll say no alcohol and that'll fix everything instead of, you know, pushing 
people back to um, what Christ did for them on the cross and that he can free them um, from the sin. I have done that so often in parenting. <laughs> uh, yes, that's exactly. Right? My kid does something. I think it's wrong. It is wrong. Yeah. Let me let me figure out where I can, you know, give you some law right. that will change your bad behavior. Yeah. And the, and the, the down, like parenting is a great kind of environment for that. Mm-hmm. What that does is it ends up kind of lessening the authority of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've seen that happen, you know, among folks where if, if people have presented something with the kind of authority of the Bible that's actually not in the Bible and it makes them question everything that every boundary, if you will, that, that has been presented to them. So I think we just got to be very careful with that. And I think to your point, Jennifer, it, just, it requires actually a lot of faith. Um, right. But there's been a lot of times throughout history where people have tried to make Jesus more palatable and in making Jesus more palatable, they've lost him altogether. That's right. You know, Spurgeon has this famous quote. He says, you know, a lot of people have tried uh, to defend the lion. Um, And he's like, you don't need to defend the lion. You just turn the lion loose. He'll defend himself. And Mm. I think that's probably a good statement, right? I mean, just, you know, if we just stick with Jesus and that's hard to do. I mean, again, it's hard not to read our own like kind of cultural or sort of, you know, personal desires into Jesus. I mean, that is what we do all the time. And that's why we need Jesus to challenge us and to correct us. I mean, the, the thing I've been saying in the politics series, you know, how do you know that you're serving the real Jesus and not just a figment of your imagination? There are times when Jesus, what he says and what he does kind of bothers you mm-hmm. and makes you uncomfortable. Well, that's how you know you're dealing with a lion and not a stuffed lion, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and so, yeah, you don't need to defend the lion. Just let the lion loose. He'll, he'll defend himself. And it highlights the importance of do I actually know Jesus? And, and for me, I mean, it's, it, it, it challenges me to, to honestly read the gospels and get into the word of God, because it's there that Jesus is revealed to me. And to your point, he, at times he confirms things at times, he challenges things in my life and all of that's needed because I want to, if I can truly know Jesus, then I will follow him more truly and I'll, I'll trust him. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's what we ultimately have to do. We can't, we can't go to our own understanding and try to, you know, piecemeal. Okay. Well, this will, this will work in this situation. Yeah. I think two good questions that Christians should be asking themselves. Do do I know the Jesus that is presented in the gospels? You said, and then another thing, do I respond to Jesus in the same way as the people did in the epistles? Right. Mm. And so if I know this Jesus, like if I know the same Jesus that Paul knew, uh, okay, is my life a lot like Paul's? And that can be a really challenging and convicting question, you know, for a lot of us. But do do you really know the Jesus that that is presented in the Gospels? And then two, if so, then are you responding to him in the same way as his followers did? And you you drew that out, uh, you know, at the end of the passage where... Jesus mother, you know, goes to, goes to the servants and says, do, do whatever he tells you to do. And, you know, you applied that to our own lives. Are we, are we saying that, you know, are are we turning to Jesus and in repentance and Mm -hmm. doing what he tells us to do? And I, I found it fascinating. So I'm, I'm doing the daily rhythms, you know, on John six today, we're going to read it. And, you know, the same, John highlights the same thing, our, our temptation to trust in ourselves, our own ability to do things. You know, in, in that case, it's he's asking Philip, 
you know, how are we going to feed these, you know, this 5,000 mm. and, and Philip's like frantically trying to figure <laughs> out, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And he has the solution right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, I was convicted, you know, as you were sharing that just of my propensity to trust in myself, to trust in, okay, what are the, what are the things that I can do? What are the, you know, how can I you know, read my Bible more? How can I pray more? How can I, you know, do these things rather than turning to the Lord Amen. Mm-hmm. and, and trusting him and, and saying, Lord, whatever you say, I, <laughs> I will, will do. do. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think Mary's faith there is so, is exactly what you're saying. Why did she have so much faith in Jesus? I mean, He's just a guest at the party, right? right? He's not like the master of the party. He's not like in a town official or anything. He's our son. And I think it is because in Jesus, she believed that God was among them. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like, I think we'll be able to look to Jesus more and more if we believe that he actually is God, that he actually has authority over the whole universe, that he actually can do everything. Um, Then we'll sort of say, okay, I'm going to trust this guy. And God, yeah, God's been teaching me that over the, or I'd say over the past year in a unique way. I te- The more complex and difficult my life gets, the more I tend to think I need to have a corresponding complex and, and complex faith, mm-hmm. right? And, and God's just reminding me, no, the more complex your life gets, the more simple your faith mm, needs to be, so right? D- can I trust that Jesus is at work and he's reigning in my life and he will work all things for my good and his glory. Right. And, you know, I, I, I want to come up with all these different solutions. doesn't mean I don't work. doesn't mean I, you know, don't do things. But the people I respect the most are not the most brilliant, you know, Christian thinkers. It's they just have a simple rock solid mm-hmm. foundation of trust. God's at work. Mm. Right. I can trust him. And that's what I want to be like. I think that's a great place to end. So for Jordan Coughlin and Jennifer McClish, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.